in terms of reducing those mistakes, you the first thing is you have to not minimize them. When the students look at it and say, oh, I just made this little mistake. I, I have my various little pet peeves. I will not let the kids say just. I just made this mistake. Because what you're doing is you're minimizing. You're saying, well, it kind of happened, but it was this random one-off. It doesn't really matter. And I'm like, you can say that sentence without the word just. I made a reading error, not I just made a reading error. From Test Takers, this is the Hashtag Prep Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn more about standardized testing and college admissions so that you can help your students navigate this important time with accurate and insightful information. Hosted by Test Takers Director of Development, Andrew Naniakara, and Director of Personnel, Jeremy Free. So prepare to learn the secrets that will help your students gain clarity, reduce stress, and work smarter, not harder. This is the Hashtag Prep Podcast. All right, here we go again with another episode of Hashtag Prepped. As always, my name is Nakin. Joining me today in office and fresh off a plane, Pete Baum, straight out of California. Pete, welcome to the show. I've known you for almost 10 years now as part of the Test Takers family, but I think it's a little bit more than that. Pete, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? So I answered an ad in the Daily Princetonian started doing some SAT preparation for a long defunct company in 1983 and did it all through college and graduated in 1987. And I, this is the only job I've ever had as an adult. I, I love doing <laughs> the tutoring. So Pete, thank you for joining us for this week's episode. On last week's episode, we had this great soundbite that, you know, you could be a student that gets the hardest math problem right, but misses number five. And you'd still get the same score as a student who got number five right, but missed number 38. You get the same score, except you did it the hard way. And it usually comes down to like a careless mistake, why students would miss earlier problems, yet nail harder problems. So this episode's geared towards like why students make careless mistakes. How do we avoid those silly mistakes? So Pete, what do you consider to be like a silly or kind of like these careless mistakes? When I'm going over a test with a student after they've completed the test, sometimes what I'll do is we'll go over every question they missed and we'll categorize it either as a miss or a biff. And a miss means that when we were doing the tutoring, I actually had to explain some piece of math or remind you of some piece of math or give you some piece of insight. And a biff means I didn't have to, meaning it was a reading mistake or it was a calculation mistake, things like that, where you really know how to do it, but you missed it anyway. So how would a student go about reducing these silly mistakes, say on their own or with, uh, with some guidance? It's a really important question because, as you were alluding to earlier, the smart kids, they're like, I, I know how to do all this math. I should get an 800. And when the kid says that, they're usually right. They usually do know how to do all the math problems. But one thing I always tell my students is if you took a room uh, of students and only had super smart kids who were great at math and every kid knew how to do every problem on the test, what percent of the kids in that room are getting an 800? You have your guess, Naka? How many students are in this room? Just what percent of them? Oh, what percent? I would say getting an 800, I would go 10%. Uh, that's, I think that's pretty much right. That's pretty much spot on. So 90% of the kids who know how to do all the questions don't get an 800. And that, of course, has nothing to do with mathematical ability. It has to do with meticulousness. We can have a long philosophical debate about whether the, the SAT should be testing that. I don't think it should. I would prefer a harder test with an easier scoring table, but I'm not in charge. So who cares what I think? So in terms of these careless errors... Fundamentally, I, I don't like it when the kids will say, I made a stupid mistake, or I made a silly mistake, or I made a careless mistake, because none of those are verbs. Like, you can't careless the problem wrong. You can't silly the problem wrong. What was the actual mistake? What did you actually do wrong? They'll say, I was hurrying. It's like, no, hurrying caused the mistake. 
Hurrying is not a mistake. What is the actual mistake? And it overwhelmingly falls into one of two categories. Uh, it's going to be a reading mistake. In other words, the facts that they took in were not the facts printed on the piece of paper, or it's an execution error. Like they didn't add right, or they, you know, made some algebraic error that, of something they 100% know how to do, but they weren't paying enough attention to it at that moment, and therefore they caused an error. And in terms of reducing those mistakes, you have, the first thing is you have to not minimize them. When the students look at it and say, oh, I just made this little mistake. I, I have my various little pet peeves. I will not let the kids say just. I just made this mistake. Because what you're doing is you're minimizing. You're saying, well, it kind of happened, but it was this random one-off. It doesn't really matter. And I'm like, you can say that sentence without the word just. I made a reading error, not I just made a reading error. And then you're taking ownership of it and saying, okay, this is something I have to work on in order to make sure this doesn't happen. Because in the absence of concerted effort, those mistakes are not going away. And that's the value of reviewing all these tests. It's not just about taking tests. It's about spending the time to review them and understand your mistakes after each testing. You know, one of the, the famous analogies I like to hear, it's when it comes to test prep, it's like trying to lose weight. You don't lose weight just by staying on a scale. You don't gain points just by uh, taking tests that it does come from the in-between review. So uh, one thing I always tell our students to do is to annotate your mistakes. It's not that you just made a mistake. Write a little love note to yourself. Why'd you make it? Did you misread it? Did you make that calculation? And if you straight up didn't know, circle it, get back to that, and make sure that you spend the time to digest it there. Now, when it comes to students making these silly mistakes, it tends to put them in this position of kind of plateauing or stagnating their score because they either aren't addressing those problems or, you know, it just leads to them getting frustrated. What would you do for students who kind of get in this frustrated kind of stagnation zone? For me, I, it's funny, I, I live in California most of the time. I'm here in New York occasionally, but I am, by birth, I am a Californian. By nature, I am a New Yorker. It's like, it's like I, you push until it yields. Um, you know, I'm going to, and sometimes, you know, I will push until they're a little uncomfortable and, and in the sense of not in terms of saying bad things about them or being mean, but just like, does this annoy you? Does this piss you off? And the kid's like, if the kid says yes, I'll be like, yeah, you should be pissed off about it. I'd be pissed off about this. So we're going to take action. When you're taking the next test, you have to be consciously thinking about this as you are taking the test. There is nothing I can say to you that will raise your score even a little unless it changes your behavior when you are taking the test. It's like something I tell the students about our uh, RTFQ strategy. It's like what helps students reduce their misreads. Uh, and, and you have kind of like these sugarcoating it, right? What I call it. It's like, oh, you know, you can circle what the question's asking. But at the end of the day, what prevents students from misreading these problems? Students just not misreading these problems. And it's usually just someone calling them out on that. Yeah. And it's putting your attention on it. And that's why I sort of, I don't like the just, and I, I want the kids to be aware that this is a real thing. It is not bad luck. It is not God hates you. It's, this is this particular thing. And it is a skill. It's not, and the good news is, by the way, it's a skill and not a trait. It's not like your eye color. This is a skill. You may be naturally good at it. You may be naturally bad at it, like any other skill. But whatever level you have, you can get better at this. And the way you get better is by directing toward your attention toward reducing these errors. And then usually the kids, I mean, obviously nothing is foolproof, but the vast majority of the time you can get these errors to go down by a large amount. No, absolutely. It's what I call like practicing with purpose. You're not just practicing just to, to get a section done or just to make your teacher happy. It's you have to set a goal for yourself, regardless of what topic uh, it would be. Like for reading, I had a student that was terrible at the vocabulary context problems. I was like, next time you go to take a test, you are going with the focus and the intention of getting every single one of those right. And if anyone does any test or anything like three, four times, you're eventually going to get it. And it takes that practice there. But every now and then they do come across a rough patch. Either they 
struggled during the test or emotionally while they're taking in the process of taking several tests, they get uh, kind of frustrated with their scores. Any advice for students there? Yeah, so I'll address the issue of, you know, the, the student is taking the test and either they're very frustrated with how they are doing or they're very frustrated with a particular question or they simply lose focus. And those are all different things. So, but the one I guess I'll, I'll talk about first is, you know, the kids are, you know, sort of aware they're going to lose focus. And they do lose focus. I mean, you know, there's no way that you or I or any other human, maybe some great Zen master can sit there with complete focus for three hours straight. But that's just that's not the human condition, normally speaking. So, of course, they're going to lose focus. And the question is, what do you do about it? First thing is to recognize that it is part of the human condition. Don't beat yourself up for it. It happens to everyone. It's fine. And the second thing is um, I advise the kids to use what engineers call the first rule of holes, which is stop digging <laughs> um, literally put your pencil down and then you're going to, you know, take a couple of deep breaths to get recentered, not some big fancy meditation thing, but just take 30 seconds or a minute to get yourself back on track and then begin again. And, and there's nothing to beat yourself up over. What I tell my students to do, especially for math, when I, when I was uh, teaching math this past semester, anytime they got frustrated on a problem and you can, and students are self-aware enough that they're like, all right, the algebra is not coming to me. I'm just staring at this problem, hoping some miracle twilight voodoo nonsense will magically happen. But they're just staring at a piece of paper that to kind of what I call recalibration, sit back, take a deep breath, and then go in there with like plugging or backs so off some math technique to kind of change it up a little bit. So when they are stuck on an individual problem like that, I actually, you know, I like lists. So I've got a, I've got a five-step <laughs> process. For, and it's not that you have to do all five of these steps, but five things to think about. And one of them is plug-in and back solve, like you mentioned. Um, we've actually touched on a number of them already. The, one of the others is reread the problem because it's possible that the problem you are trying to solve is literally impossible because you don't have the facts right. You know, maybe use process of elimination. And the, the, the kids will sometimes be like, well, that's not as good a strategy. I'm like, well, it's not as good as actually knowing how to do it, but it's better than, oh, uh, I don't know, which is the alternative. The next way I suggest to them sometimes is assume a rule. Like, they're, I'm not sure I'm allowed to do this. I'm like, okay, well, then do it. And if your mathematical idea is right, you'll get it right. If it's wrong, you'll get it wrong. And that's the best you can do. And probably the number one thing is do something. And it would do something you know is mathematically valid, but you don't see why it helps. And kids are often afraid, well, what if I do this and it's a dead end? And that's a legitimate fear. That might happen. But again, the alternative is that you can't do it. And a much higher percentage of the time than the kids think, the thing they're thinking of doing is actually correct. And the problem is simply that if a if a problem has five steps in it, you may not have the math vision to see all the way to the end of the problem. And once you've done one or two steps, then it suddenly becomes clear. So, Pete, I had a student take the SAT a couple of months ago, last year, actually. And during the test, they came across a problem they thought it was like too easy to be like the last problem. And they kind of got in their heads, kind of psyched themselves out during the test. Any advice for students while they're taking the test if they're freaking out? Yeah, the most, the most common one that I see is that they something happens that they perceive as being wrong or perhaps is even objectively wrong. Like they, they, the student didn't finish the end of the reading section. They left the last five questions blank. They didn't even randomly guess. That is unquestionably a mistake. I mean, there's no way around that. That's clearly an error on the student's part. But what I try to impress on them is that there's more margin for error than they think. In other words, I'll go through a little drill with them and basically ask them what they think their 98th percentile score is. And let's say a student's got 1,300. And, you know, on their last practice, and I say, what's your, what's your 98th percentile score? And they'll say 1320. And I'm like, it's 1450 or something <laughs> like that. It's so much higher than you think. And the reason that matters is because 
Obviously, it's better to stay in the moment and not be trying to assess your score. But if you're going to assess it, at least assess it accurately. The fact that that kid skipped the last five English questions, yeah, they probably can't get 1440 now. Can they still get 1360 or get 1380 and get a great score? Of course they can. And letting them know that there's more margin for error than they think releases a lot of their internal pressure so that they can thrive on the test. So, Pete, thank you for joining us in studio today. Hopefully this helped any students or parents who are trying to help their kids who are kind of struggling, stagnating, or kind of getting caught up in their careless mistakes on the test. But, uh, Pete, we like to end each episode with what I call the hashtag prep pro tip. Any kind of uh, sage advice you give to kind of put a nice little bow on it? I would say it's that when you're practicing, it's sort of like what you're saying earlier, what you called practicing with purpose, which is looking over all your errors and not dismissing certain errors as meaningless because you knew how to do it. Because when a student says that, it's probably true, but it's still worthy of, of, there's always something you can learn. So it's always worthy of some review so that you can figure out how to improve, which is almost always the case. Pete, if they want to get in contact with you, how can they find you? Uh, my website is peterbaum.com, P-E-T-E-R-B-A-U-M.com. And please reach out if I can be of service. Uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us at preppodcast.com. Sitting across from me, we have Pete Baum. My name is Naka, and this has been Hashtag Prepped.